Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we cover a band, an artist, and sometimes a carnival barker of some kind. And this week we're talking about Tom Waits. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with Jared. This is Tyler. For your slow, look at you slow. He got caught. He got tricked as well. We'll go ahead and introduce really quickly. Uh, Dax has indefinitely left the show. Uh, the, both this and our other sister podcast, Good Band Bad Band. So if you're tuning in specifically, to listen to Dax, then it's time to turn off your podcast. And otherwise, once again, we are listening to Tom Waits this week. And how did everybody feel about listening to Tom Waits? Jared, I will start with you. Uh, I thought it was good. I I knew uh, lots of his songs, but I don't think I'd ever listened to an entire album all the way through, at least not in a long time. And it was um, interesting. Very weird, which I like most of the time. Um, kind of a little bit samey, um, but I did like a, a, a decent amount of stuff. There were definitely moments of samey, but I feel as though personally that most of the samey sound came off of the early albums. And then once you hit swordfish trombones, like, you know, they, they borrow from each other, but I feel as though they often do at least something slightly different at least. But Tyler, how did you feel? The where the albums are similar. I would agree that it's closer to the first uh, portion of the discography, but uh, he kind of like trans, he kind of is interesting because if I were to have to categorize Tom Waits, I would say jazz, jazz blues. That's fair. And I think that's that those are the two genres that I think are most prominent throughout all of his discography. But the way he goes about it is what changes, I think. So right. the first couple albums are like singer songwriter a little more Then the jazz really starts to take over a lot more. And that kind of plays out in like this. Uh, it really sounds kind of weird because once the jazz takes over, you j- they sound like um, demented Louis Armstrong albums. Yeah, that's fair. And, as, uh, as of like um, small changes. Right? Yeah, small changes through Swordfish Trombone. Swordfish Trombone, That once you hit that, it becomes um, questionable lyrical content um, circus jazz. It's yeah, circus that's jazz. That's a very, very yeah. fair explanation. And it, it holds that up until, in, from what I found, it holds that up until like ni- the 90s. Like 99, yeah. probably. When with, we start. Um, well, even honestly, though, what, I'll go ahead and get it out here. My, the album I think I like the most is Bone Machine. Yeah. 92. I really like Bone Machine. Bone Machine that, is very cool. And I think that's where it starts to sh- shift again to a just like. I don't know where it goes. It brings a little bit more standardized sounds in, mm-hmm. uh, but from, it's still like, kind from of mule variations on, or like even at Bone Machine. At Bone Machine, it starts, but once you get to mule variations, it, it things become a little more like even. And from then on, it's it's kind of back to singer songwritery, folky type stuff. From there out, even as like yeah. as he gets older, his voice is actually quite well suited to it and he brings in like a almost like a neil young in terms of having rock elements as well and that's kind of where he lives for the end of the 
period that we listened to. There's definitely like, because like Mule Variations even has a little bit of like country to it. It does. But that was also, I mean, that kind of country-esque was prominent in the early stuff, which is why I feel like it's a bit of a full circle back to, hey, this is kind of where I started and I'm going to explore it in a different way. Because he had a lot of piano early on Mm -hmm. and now he's not, he's really almost very minimal piano and it's kind of explored other instruments in that like area of, of where he comes from. I mean, from like swordfish trombone to bone machine, like, most of his instrumentation is like just eclecticism is really what it comes down to. Yeah. There's like odd percussion where it sounds like he's hitting pots mm-hmm. and like accordion yep. and just like a just a huge selection of very strange things. And I agree that like mule variation on like there's so some of that kind of like carnival e sound. Like his second to last album is when he finally finally had a song called circus yeah <laughs> it took him that long to finally right. like, hey maybe i should like buy into this whole circus. i guess i should just do it well it's awfully fitting because i've mentioned uh to you before and jared of course already knows is that jared and i went and saw a sideshow at southgate house revival this has been i don't even know is it has it been a year probably around that yeah it's been quite some time ago and it was i it was pretty good mm-hmm. uh i enjoyed it it was. I like the sideshow things. They're kind of fun. Sometimes they get to be where um, all of them have like the same kind of stuff, but it's still fun to go to. And the venue was good, and there was like not many people there, if I remember correctly. It wasn't super heavily turned out for. Didn't they do tri- uh, karaoke afterwards? No, that was no? another night. Okay, we went okay. for karaoke on its own. I okay. think. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Anyway, uh, the one of the three people I believe that were in this um, was a guy who because of what happened was. There was a guy in it who did music as well. And they, you didn't know he was in it, but he opened for them performing songs. And then when during the thing, either before or during it, he performed Swordfish Trombones, the song, uh, on accordion. And it was quite good. And that's the first. I hadn't actually never heard anything from that album prior to that. And he said it was Tom Waits on so Look at Jerry. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know. And uh, I was like, this is pretty wild. And I looked it up after that because that whole album is pretty wild. And that song in and of itself is actually kind of a, a mellow song on that album. Oh, for sure. But uh, it's just pretty wild stuff. Some some very, very odd things start happening as of Swordfish Trombones. Like, he, because small changes is when he started to adapt, like the kind of gravelly growl that he used mm-hmm. throughout the rest of his career, yeah. which like is such an odd, like musical choice. Yes, because if you listen to his first two albums, that's obviously not his singing voice. Right, he is putting it on. Right, he didn't just like he wasn't singing. He's like, this is what I sound like all the time. Like that's not. How he, but he was like, finally was like, I'm just gonna do this. This is the thing that I'm gonna do, and then he did it forever. Yes, and it's wild too because he's from California, and not from New Orleans or New York, where it kind of sounds like he could be from if you listen to the way he sings, mm-hmm. and it freaks me out. The whole thing is very odd. But as of small changes, he starts using the voice, and then things kind of like, basically, like once you get to heart attack and vine, yeah, heart yep. attack and heart vine, attack and vine, heart attack and vine, like his. You can tell that he's kind of like uncomfortable almost in like doing the same thing over and over again. Like he's kind of like slowly pushing to do something different. And that's when he switched to a different label. So Swordfish Trombones is his first album, I believe on Asylum was the uh, the label that he switched to. And 
once he switched to the new label, that was really when he started getting more creative freedom and was able to do more of his own production and was able to do more of his own, like, you know, kind of, kind of make his own decisions with what music he was going to be utilizing for his albums. And so Swordfish Trombones is definitely like kind of the big weird moment in his discography where you're like, what happened to this man? What happened to this man? It's weird because so on on that album there's a song called Frank's Wild Years. Yes. And then two albums later, later yes. there's an album called, called Frank's, Frank's Wild, Wild Years. Years. So it's like the the beginning of that story was told and then like I guess he must have just kind of thought maybe I can write an entire album about Frank. Yeah. Well, that those three albums, Swordfish Trombones, Rain Dogs, which is my personal favorite Tom Waits album, and um, Frank's Wild Years, they're kind of considered like a trilogy mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like those three albums, I mean, they really do kind of go together, and they're really the most experimental that he gets. Though Bone Machine is also yeah, in a different a, way, a yeah. whole different beast. Yeah, Bone Machine uh, was a a very very interesting album it was one of my favorites as well probably my second favorite after rain dogs um i think my favorite album was mule variations mules variations is also a very good good yeah it is i liked uh the song hold on i think that's a good yeah he did a lot of ballads which i did not like going into tom waits i didn't know he did as many uh acoustic ballady kind of love songs a lot of piano ballads early what about what do you think about what's he building Oh, that's Caleb's favorite song, isn't it? <laughs> Not my favorite, but I do. It's good. Just isn't deeply it? love. It is just good. Play What's it. he building in there? It's like Macho Man, yeah. like doing a TLC, yeah, uh, home improvement show. Yes. I already did some Diamond Jail. <laughs> to those magazines he never waves when he goes by he's hiding something from the rest of us i'm glad that the uh guy that was uh manor james keenan's tenant or landlord when he uh when he lived the, at that place that sent him that voicemail, the voicemail yeah. was able to make an album that yeah, was yeah very good glad he got in here I really like Chocolate Jesus on there too. Chocolate Jesus is pretty good it is too. Good. Yeah. Oh boy! I also I like Eyeball Kid. There, there's that weird like that kind of like Yelp sound in the background of Eyeball mm-hmm. Kid, and I every single time I listen to it, I love it. I'm gonna play just the Yelp. I love that Yelp. It's That's so weird. Good. It is pretty good. I earlier today I was listening to some of this. And uh, while I was at work, and my buddy that I work with is like, he finally said, he finally was like, what are you listening to? And I said, it's Tom Waits. I was going to lie to you and tell you it was a new Adam Sandler album, but uh, I just decided not to. And he's like, okay, I've never listened to Tom Waits. And I was like, well, he's, you know, he's different, but he's like, he's good. He's pretty good. I don't know. Because what's interesting about him too, I'll mention, is that you can like different parts of his career and not like other parts of his career. I would so, agree with that so, for sure. And... uh as time went on, because I listened to a bit of a medley of some different uh, eras today, and he, I was on the second floor working on some windows, and he was on the down like on the ground, and he yelled at me, and it was during like sort of his trombones era stuff, and he goes, "Hey, um, are you are you liking this?" And I go, "Yeah." 
you know, kind of like, I don't like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. You know, uh, it's like work to like it, but that's okay in a way. And he's like, okay, well, uh, just figured I'd ask you, you know, <laughs> he didn't like it. <laughs> he didn't like it. And I'm just like, yeah, well, he's, and then he mentioned that, it, you know, he's like, it just sounds like weird circus music. And I'm like, well, that is. Yeah. I believe that the, the term that I saw around quite a bit was the term dark cabaret. Oh, that's a good term. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because well, like cabaret is kind of this like theatrical, you know, art, mm-hmm. artsy, weird kind of thing. And obviously, there's a very, very dark tone to a lot of the things that he does with his music. Yeah, he talks about... That's the thing is, as well, is his lyrical content is pretty interesting. Obscure. Yeah, it's pretty... I think it's... I like it. It's pretty good. He's basically just a storyteller in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, see, what I was thinking about this week, so he is also an actor. Yes. Um, And he does, like... I kind of feel like his production and the his music... And just kind of like the aesthetic of what he goes for is number one. And then his like his voice is just kind of secondary. Like it's the last thing that he like it just kind of just so happens to be there too. Like the lyrical content, the production of the music, kind of how he puts albums together of them being like performance. Like he's done um, like I, I feel like he would do like uh, poetry or like uh, uh, readings and things like that. Like that would be something that Tom Waits would do if he doesn't. He might do it. I don't know. I didn't. I don't know for sure. But um, I mean, he's been involved in plays. Like most of, not most of, a good handful of his albums have been either adapted for plays or were written explicitly for the purpose of plays. Like Alice was that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank's Wild Years was that way. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, the album uh, Blood Money also was uh, associated with a play. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of moments where his his music kind of goes with the theatrics mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I also like Blue Valentine. That was an early album that I enjoyed. Yeah, that's a good one too. Um, trying to think of like a my my favorite tune from it. I know I knew more things from that. I have it on vinyl. Uh, Whistling Past the Graveyard is one of my favorite songs by him. It's one that I think of when I think of Tom Waits. Um, and then the song uh, Christmas Card from a hooker, a hooker. In, in Minneapolis. Yeah, That's a pretty good one, too. You also like, uh, you often mention The Piano is Drinking. That's a song that you like to mention. That is a great song. I love The Piano is Drinking. I love The Piano is Drinking. I like the end where he just continues to, to remind you that it's uh, what, the piano's fault. It's not my fault. Yeah. The piano is drinking, not me. Yeah. This is a piano. Well, that early, like, that early sound of his music is like this weird, like, like it's like a lounge act, uh, smoky bar sip of whiskey yeah. style of music yeah. it's so hyper specific what he does well like, you should you want to play one from the first album yeah what do y'all think uh, uh, you can play the one everyone knows or you can play ice cream man if you want to i'll play ice cream man for you jared do you have a preference no so you said uh that he is like a smoky bar or whatever and i feel like uh whereas billy joel plays at nine o'clock on a saturday Tom Waits plays at like three before they close. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's pretty that's good. Really He's phenomenal. the last one that's leaving. Pretty good. I do. They feel, have to throw him out. I do feel like if you were to see him perform and it wasn't like in 
like a dingy like I'm talking yeah, this bar is in the basement of a New York building yeah and it is like you know right you know why are you even outside right now why are you not at home they don't have then you a, should never listen to them if you're not really in that they don't situation. have a security guard at the front they have a rat My biggest question coming off of that song is, do you think that Tom Waits would have had the same impact had he kept his voice that way? No. I don't. No. I doubt it. I mean, the songwriting obviously still would have been there. Right. But I think that because he became so weird, it was the the like the people that wanted that got it. And I don't know if he would have had as many people without a prominent voice. And then he just did the other music too. You know what right. I mean? I don't know. I mean, like, he really did, like, satisfy a niche audience that, like, because if you really think about, like, if you think about who he's kind of born out of, is that, like, late 60s Frank Zappa, Captain Beefheart type of music. Absolutely. And nobody really in the 70s that I can think of was doing something within that same realm. And we're not really doing that anymore. No one's really like making Tom Waits esque music. I can't like when I say Frank Zappa and then I say Captain Beefheart and then I say Tom Waits. I don't know who four is. Like who is the other person well, doing see. those things? I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I mean, I, there's people out there. They're just not mainstream. Well, right? when you look, you at, don't know them. When you look at fans, also like the first one is Nick Cave, which is. Yeah. I yeah, there's I a little know. bit to of Nick Cave to that. There's um, a little bit of because he's got the same blues kind of sound to his music as right. well. Other than that, like the rest of these are kind of They're the rest of these are getting old. questionable. Well, there's like John Cale is on here, which is kind of weird, as we mentioned in Velvet Underground. Nick Drake is on here. Lou Reed is on here. Yeah, I saw Nick Drake. Towns Van Zant is on here. Like those are they make sense for the fact that it's Nick like Drake a makes sense later work. Yeah, yeah, kind of, but not for the weirdness. Though. Yeah, not for the weirdness. I'm really kind of ex- like more extrapolating the weirdness portion of things. The swordfish trombone to the um, the bone machine. Who else? And even like again, like Mule Variation has parts of that. His second to last album, which I keep forgetting the name of because you know it. it there's so many albums. Real Gone um, had some of those elements as well. Even Alice and um, Blood Money had some parts of that as well. I would even say Bad as Me had a little bit of the weirdness I liked, too. I liked so my probably the first introduction I really had to Tom Waits was that album. Uh, I had. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine back. This album came out in like 11, 2011, I believe. And, um, yeah, 2011. And I had Rolling Stone magazine subscription and uh, it reviewed that album, gave it a pretty good review and said, hey, this guy's super weird. You might like this song, this song, whatever. And so I had the album and I really liked, I liked the song uh, Raised Right Man. That's a pretty good song. I liked the song Bad As Me, uh, the title, you know, track. And then I love the song Last Leaf. 
That is like if he never releases another album, like that is like the best send off song to somebody like him. If you'll play uh, some of it, um, I don't know if it's I don't think it's my favorite song by him, but it does tell a pretty good t- story of a, of the end years of a musician kind of thing. So. Yonder the rest, but they won't take me. I'm a last leaf on the tree. When the autumn wind blows, they're already gone. Flutter to the ground as they can't hang on. And there's nothing in the What I love is that what we've played thus far is like a lounge act jazz song. We played What's He Building in there. Mm-hmm. We played the Yelp from yeah. Eyeball Kid. Listen. And then we played Last Leaf. And if you were listening, like if you took this episode and cut out all of our dialogue and only played those four clips, you would say, is this from the same episode? Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting. Yeah. That's true. I, I'm continuing to try to do this. Who else can we put into this thing? And I'm on Reddit at the moment, which is a good place to find things. Oh, yeah. And it's just a whole... It's really kind of a mess of all these people trying to say different things. Because like people don't really really know. But I found a couple of interesting things I'll bring up here. One is uh, supposedly Tom Waits... And this, once again, is from Reddit. We don't know. Uh, but supposedly he's a huge fan of Frank Sinatra's in the wee small hours. Okay. And... Uh, I could see that because the second album has is actually an homage. the The cover art yes. of it yes, is it an is. homage to In This We Yes, it is, and it's and it's uh, the entire album is an homage in a way because right. Sinatra's album is about uh, being out and uh, around the the streets at night and getting home and remembering uh, lost loves, and uh, Tom Waits is all about uh, being out and having a drunken night on the town, getting all wild. So it's kind of a similar, uh, you know, this or that. So that's pretty interesting. I see some people putting uh, Dr. John in here, which I think is Dr. John also makes a sensible. lot of sense. I haven't thought about Dr. John um, in a while. B-Fart, of course, is mentioned on here, as we talked about before. What I find really interesting, though, because I really think when you mentioned Zappa, that I think Zappa is probably the closest Yeah. when I think about it For in sure. terms of the way that he uh, created instruments out of objects and just did, like had weird content. And no one on here or anywhere else I've seen even is mentioning Zappa. Really? Yeah, which I find quite inter- quite odd. because That is quite odd. I mean, Zappa makes, to me, the most sense, personally. I would agree. That's I think it makes the most sense as well. Um, even because like Trout Mass Replica from Captain Beefheart, you know, like his most prominent album yeah. is one that makes a lot of sense to me because it has a lot of those blues elements and jazz elements. So that album in particular really stands out as well. But again, it's there's just so few and far between artists to me that kind of speak to that same sound that Tom Waits has. He really is, you know. I don't. Th- I try not to throw this term out all the time, but he really is kind of a visionary artist in a lot of ways. He's so creative, and he's doing something that other people really have never done, and that nobody really after him ever did. Like his music really is Tom Waits' music. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like it, it's difficult when you, if you can't think of other people, then obviously 
he hasn't like influenced people in the same way. Not that he hasn't right. influenced people, but maybe somebody that I was thinking about that would be somewhat similar in just kind of the strange songwriting aspect. I was thinking like Benjamin Clementine. Uh, you know, actually, I don't hate that. With, I, I do uh, think that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, some some of his songs that are bizarre. If you'll play my favorite song while, I will, yeah. while we're talking about this, find it. It is a beautiful song. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought, here's what I thought. I thought I would like Tom Waits this week more than what I actually did. I did not like Tom Waits, but I thought that I would like more of the albums than what I did. I liked the songs I knew I liked, but then I did find a few songs and like some songs that were interesting um, and some things that like, okay, this reminds me of something and, and like kind of his storytelling. It's like listening to, I don't know. It's like a, like a spoken word album sometimes and stuff. It's so Yeah, strange. it is a lot. It's, it's almost as though like if Bob Dylan did a bunch of heroin and lived in a gutter for like six years. Oh my. Oh my! Good thing he found God instead. Thank God. It's true. I'm trying to think of. Would you like to play your Benjamin Clementine song now? Yeah, go ahead and play it. Tell him. Tell him what it's called. One awkward fish. him for it really you bringing him up i can't complain it's a benjamin clementine song called yep. i can't complain Just about that nobody who's listening to this would ever know that but you know it's somebody fun. might somebody might. i hope so uh check out benjamin clementine he's a yeah, great guy there you go. the he's album is called i name. tell a fly from 2017 i also really like his album prior to that album which is called at least for now which came out in 2014 benjamin clementine everybody go. a song speaking of like uh, sometimes it's like listening to a spoken word um type situation a song that i really enjoy it's not my favorite song but it's a song i really like um that's probably my second favorite in a way at the moment uh that reminds me of that is the song step right up which is like a, a type of infomercially type thing, you know, overlaid on top of, uh, you know, his own thing from there. From the, that's the third album, Small Change. Everyone's a winner, bargains, good lord. That's right, you two can be the proud owner of the quality goes in before that name goes on. One tenth of a dollar, one tenth of a dollar. We got service after the sale. How about perfume? We got perfume. How about an engagement ring? Some for the little lady, some for the little lady, some for the little lady. I also remember liking Step Right. I saved, Isn't that a sweet I, song? I saved that as a like song, too. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, one thing I think's funny about that song is, you know, he's like, it's a guy at like a side show somewhere it's trying to sell that's you know? every song yeah yeah 
Yes, it is, right? But he, but he was doing it early on, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, that, like, even yeah, before he got early. into the Carnival Barker, circusy, whatever well, sound you want to call it, like he was doing. What's funny is that those lyrics are like soup. I'm in the lyrics now. They're soup. They're so long. And he's just selling the same thing the whole time. If you ever What's listen, he I don't, we don't know. It's just, What's a, he it's selling. An, it is not a nondescript item because it's plenty descriptive, but we don't know what it is. I, a, one, a lyric that I. Pre- oh particularly like from it was uh change your shorts change your life change your life change it to a nine-year-old hindu boy get rid of your wife oh that's pretty good maybe it's like the meatloaf song uh, i will do anything for love but not uh, but i won't do that we don't know Where, what it is yeah right? we don't but it what is, is out there people say meatloaf said it's in the song you know what he will not do let but, me figure it out but for we, sure. nobody oh, some boy. people don't know well, that's how this is. We don't know what he's selling because he never mentioned it, but he we have plenty of description as to what it does. It does many things. That's right. We've played many, many songs at this point. Yeah, nobody's played one favorite song. I was going to say, so does anybody want to or would they like me to do so? You do it. All right, I will. So my, I, I didn't even realize that it was my introduction to um, Tom Waits was actually the movie Fight Club. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in the scene... In Fight Club, when they're walking into Fight Club for the very first time, there's this guitar riff playing. And it turns out, I didn't realize, because I was listening to Bone Machine, and that guitar riff came on. I was like, I know that I know that guitar riff. So I looked up that scene from Fight Club, and lo and behold, the song Going Out West is on the soundtrack for Fight Club. So I re-listened to that song, I was like, damn, this is a good song. So Going Out West from Bone Machine, my favorite personal song from Tom Waits. It like really encapsulates a lot of like elements of his music. It has like some kind of weird sounds in there. It's got that really heavy blues rock sound to it. And his voice has that like, it, I mean, it's definitely one of those songs where you, he really, really puts it on with the vocals. And I like when he does that. I like when he like, like, you know, sometimes it's kind of like that, like melodic version of his kind of gravelly tone. But when he like gets really like eccentric and ecstatic about what he's saying with it, oh, it's fun. It's real fun. I won't disagree with you there. I that song stuck out to me too because of the guitar in the beginning, all the tremolo, and it's got well, I mean, it's called going out west, and it feels western. You know what I mean? It does. So that's pretty cool. I, he, it's just kind of weird. I don't know what to think. Like it seems. He, when he as he changes, it becomes refreshing when he does things that are more familiar. It's like he's coming. It's weird because his whole career, once he starts to get weird, it just goes from weird to normal instead of the opposite. Like it's weird to think of someone whose career is that's kind of like a backward uh, progression when you think of people. A lot of times people start out like somewhat normal and then they like get weirder as they get more freedom to be weird or whatever but he just like came in normal and did his thing for a second and then he just got weird and weird and weird and now he's kind of normalized again well the the weird thing to me though weird is that like he actually spent like 
like half a decade like not weird i know like it was a long time it was like what six albums or yeah, something like of. that like, in the uh, beginning I, yeah like okay so let's well i mean that depends on what you yeah, what, what do you, you say weird, weird. Right. closing weird. time heart of saturday yep. small change foreign affairs blue valentine heart attack and vine None of those are really anywhere near as weird as Swordfish Trauma. Well, no, but they already are weird. Right. I'm not saying it's not weird. I'm just saying it's nowhere near as experimental. Twenty nine dollars. Listen, you're just naming songs. I like that song. I I love how he covered like on that album. He covered somewhere from West Side Story. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The first song on the album, and it's like. He had an, I don't think he did like almost any other covers in his entire that's, career. Yeah, very few. That's true. I, uh, so I also just looked up. You made me think of it because I thought I had heard a song this week that I recognized from uh, television or film as well, but I can't remember what it is. So I just looked up Tom Waits songs and movies, uh, and I'm on Den of Geek. And at the very beginning of the article is a quote. Um, it says it's by Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp says the devil doesn't have the best tombs. Tom Waits does. <laughs> nice tombs or tunes tunes oh tunes i like that well, i like he, that. he did go down to georgia did he yeah the devil. Oh, i have heard that once or well, twice i think nickelback what, told me that an interesting so. thing about that that uh what you just said so uh the film uh dr parnassus the what is it called something about imagination of dr imaginarium Par- yeah um that movie directed by terry gilliam had um tom waits in it and also, it originally had Heath Ledger, but he died during the filming of it, but they had some scenes. So as a way to finish the film, they had other actors come in and play the same character, one of them being Johnny Depp. So Johnny Depp was in the same movie as Tom Waits, so it's just interesting. And they're both weirdos, too. They are. That play music, Johnny Depp plays music, too. So hmm. Not as popular as Tom Waits' music. No, 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 not as. He's in a group. Johnny Depp is in a group with Alice Cooper. Is he really? Really? Yep. That's very odd. It's called like the something vampires. The like uh, California vampires or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But it's it's like, um, I think that somebody from the Rolling Stones is in it too. Alice Cooper's in it. It's Somebody from the Rolling Stones you just threw out there? Uh, I can't remember which. It's uh, somebody in there. Hold on a minute. Let me find it. It's called the Hollywood Vampires. Yes. Uh, It is not anybody from uh, the Rolling Stones. I'm talking about that. Um, oh my gosh! There's so many people in this dang group. Joe Perry is in it, so that's from huh. Aerosmith. Uh, Johnny Depp, Alice Cooper, and then Tommy Henriksen, who uh has played with Alice Cooper. So, I see. Okay, what an interesting group. We what an interesting group. Just throw in Tom Waits, and we'll be good to go. Yeah, yeah he should be in enough. there. Yeah. Tyler, I had a question for you specifically. Yes. So you said Bone Machine is your favorite album. Yeah, I believe so. What do you think about that album stood out to you the most? I think. Well, I think a big part of what it is is that it in in the dis- way we listen to the discard, which it does come directly after. Uh, direct- Frank's Wild Years, yes, Frank's Wild Years. So it's we listened to it in the way that it would have been released, but we didn't have the waiting period that everyone else did because I believe it was six years later, if I remember. It was correctly. quite a while, yeah. And I just think it it is another shift. I think that the shift that he made is a shift that really speaks to me most probably is what it is it's really his darkest album yeah and it's a little more guitar heavy which i like i don't dislike not guitar heavy but it has more guitar work in it and it's i've read that it's bare bones kind of 
which he recorded that in a in like a cellar. Yeah, that's what I read, and he said it, he described it as a, a concrete floor and a water heater. That's correct. Yes, that exact <laughs> is that's the dis- exact description. So, which is not too different from where we are in a way. When you look around this room, truly not. Um, he like his he. What was cool about the way that he made music was was that he was very very naturalistic about the way that he wanted to capture sounds. So if he had like a specific drum part or a specific percussion piece that he wanted he he literally there were points where he wanted a specific sound and so he would go and hit like a bathroom door with a two by four and that would be how he wanted to find that sound yeah like he would just do whatever he had to do to try and find a sound so he really liked the uh, echoics of like this really dark dungeon basically where he's recording bow machine and like imagining tom waits making music in this cement floor basement about like death and destruction Mm -hmm. and just sadness it's such a weird image it's weird i wonder what he did to that water eater oh me too what did you use it for uh what's he using it for what's he doing with that water eater i think um I think what happened with me was in the way we listen to discography is it proves like, like I said, it proves a shift that's kind of close to what I think. And I think it proved a shift that I found surprising because what sure. I thought I knew about Tom Waits was I knew the swordfish trombone stuff from when we, I looked it up when Jared and I heard that and I knew the earlier piano type stuff. And so I was kind of settling and I knew his more recent stuff was more kind of folky. So I was settling in for those types of things. And I didn't always know where they would be placed. Sure. But it represented a shift that I wasn't expecting that I found very pleasing. And that really hit hit me in a in a way I was like, am I still listening to Tom Waits? And I look at it and I am. And what's weird about it is I'm familiar with this album in terms of seeing it around and seeing the album art and knowing the, the name of it. Because I actually, A Bow Machine is also a Pixie song. Yes, it is. So I for a long time I was like trying to figure out, and not this week, this was previously when I when I in my familiarity with just seeing the album, whether it did or did not have some type of connection. Cause it was, it'd be previous to be after that. Right. Um, and I couldn't find any, which is a little bit disappointing. That's okay. I can't complain, but, uh, I'd never really listened to it. And so when it came about, I just was kind of amazed at like the difference that came with it. And I just thought it was it's really certainly cool. very different. And it's, and sonically it just does what I, lo- what I want. It's, I yeah. like bear. I like a lot of times creativity musically and other places as well. Um, can be found when you when you limit yourself. Yeah. So sometimes when you have all of these things that you wanted that you want and you have all of it collected in, and you have a lot of stuff, it's difficult to be creative and to like do something interesting and different and and especially sonically because when you have one like if I have just a guitar, then you have to ask yourself well, what can I and you're used to making different sounds or that's your thing. You have to ask yourself how to do it or this or that. So sometimes you come up with really interesting ways to use different things. That even though he's been doing that for a while, you may not have thought about because you've kind of stripped back a little bit. There are moments on that album in particular where it almost feels like, you know, like the scenes from A Brother Art Thou when the slaves are working on the railroad. Uh It feels like that. Like it's like this weird, like metallic. They weren't slaves. They were prisoners. They were prisoners. Uh, they were prisoners. Is that what you're talking right. about? Yeah. yeah, yeah the right. They were prisoners. That's yeah. right. They that were prisoners, which, you know, basically the same thing. We're using the criminal justice system as a new form of slavery for the African-American population. This is the wrong podcast. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Oops. Sorry. I, I had a weird moment. Anyways, <laughs> um, 
the the prisoners. Thank you. In Oh Brother Where Art Thou, when they're working on the railroad, and they're like, they're like you hear like the clink sound of their their you know their fire. <laughs> It has like They're like changed. in the Coliseum. Yeah, like yes, it yes. sounds it like does. that same type of thing in the Coliseum. Like it's like this weird, like kind of. Um, I don't even. I don't even know how to describe that sound because, like, that when I say like the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Prisoners, and the, I, I, I don't yeah. know how else to describe it other than that. I, I there's not a, really it's like a, a, it's chanting. It's like a primordial kind of thing you know what i mean yeah it's, like it, it's like very it, odd it reaches back to the early days of music where you make noises and chant over it kind of thing right and, and it's like and again like you said it's so stripped back there's so little instrumentation instrumentation on a lot of the songs throughout that album and it it like it's just very jarring it's yeah. a very jarring album and i, I like that about mm-hmm. it it very much stood out to me that album also it's uh, there's a few different interesting things about it other than just that uh, it won a Grammy award for best alternative music album, it which did. is cool. Yeah. Thank way to go Academy. You did something uh, that didn't suck. I'm proud of you for once. And uh, did you know Keith Richards is on that album? Yeah. Isn't that pretty interesting? That's it's kind of wild. A, it's just a weird name to be on there. Keith Richards. Is so weird. Um, the, the cover photo of that album is uh, he's like in the cover of every album, right? But he just is like a different. It's different, it's except different. for Rain Dogs. True, Rain Dogs. People thought he was on the cover, but it's actually like an old photo. Whoa. On the cover of this one, he's wearing uh, he's screaming, wearing a horn skull cap, whatever, some protective goggles. It was taken by Jesse Dillon, son of Bob Dillon. That's who took that photograph. Wow, yeah, Pretty interesting little bit there. Uh, and it's also, I, I, it seems to me, from what I found, that it's probably one of his. If not his most prominent, one of his most prominent, because a lot of people have included it on their best albums of the '90s, which is crazy for not only because it came out in '92, it's so early in the decade, but also because it's an Tom Waits. It came out 20 years almost after his debut album, and it's one of the uh, top albums of the '90s. And uh, and it's, it's so crazy. different from other things that were around in the '90s. Like Do it's you know really who, not. Yeah. Like a '90s, I, I mean, really. Before you you say anything, Jerry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to, I wasn't trying to cut you off, but I was. <laughs> um, his music isn't really like dated in a mm. weird way. Like, and yet it there's is. There's no, there's really no time period that I would fit his music into in a normal way. Yeah, what it's like from the '50s. I was gonna say, uh, you know who else um, likes the stuff from that album? is uh, Joey Ramone because he oh. covered I Don't Want to Grow Up. We covered the Ramones and I talked about that song and it's on that album, Bone Machine. So that's, that's pretty true. cool too. Cause that it, is you cool. You talk about people that are influenced by it. The Ramones were influenced by Tom Waits. Indeed. Isn't that cool? Tyler, uh, yeah, what's you, your favorite song? We yeah, I was going to say, let's, for half let's hour. yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, I was going to get to it because I was going to mention uh, that even though I enjoyed Bone Machine. It did come after Frank's Wild Years, which I found surprising that my favorite song was on that album instead of on Bone Machine. But it was on Frank's song, Wild Years? It was. a song really? I really like on Frank's Wild Years. It stuck out. I've often heard uh, some of you guys, I think it was as Dax typically does, but Jared also mentions it, that sometimes a song sticks out to them uh, without having to go back and look. You know, something sticks out in the first listen, and you're like, this is something's going to have to beat this, and then nothing ever does. It's kind of what happened to me this week. I got Some things came close, um, but the song I really like uh, from Frank's Wild Years is Cold Cold Ground.
Oh, that's a, that's not a bad one. I personally really like uh, "Way Down in the Hole." Off that's that a good one. one too. Yeah, but "Cold Cold Ground's a pretty good song. It definitely has like an old folksy sound it's to like it. like a bluesy sound almost. Yeah. Too. It mixes a bunch of things. And it then does. to get the accordion in there, creating the uh, mel- the melodic portion of it all. And, and it's kind of har- stripped back as well. Harmonica's and, in there, yep. baby boy. Yep. Right. So Not enough it, accordion in this world. Let me go no, ahead and state not. this right now. Well, The accordion is a wonderful instrument. What the hell are you people doing not utilizing it more I in think your music? I'm, Look at Weird Al. Our mother. Look say, what you can do with it. Our mother was gifted an accordion for one of her birthdays, and really? she never learned how to play it. You know what I think we should do? We, Shame um, on her. I want to create an award uh, for this show. A major reward. We can give it out as periodically as we choose uh, the gold accord, Golden Accordion Award. Oh. Okay. You win the Record Roundtable's Golden Accordion Award. Uh, I don't know the criteria. We'll have to, this, to figure it out. But uh, this month it goes to Tom Waits. He's okay. got to have it. It was almost to... Um, I love this idea so much. It was almost to uh, Kate Bush because they had the accordion yes, in nearly. that cover of Rocket Man that was on Good Band, Bad Band, but uh, she just lost out to Tom Waits. All right, I guess, it, I guess it can be... Uh, no, you, you stop that right now. Don't you dare take it the, away from Tom No, 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 I'm not taking it. One uh, for Good Band, Bad Band, one for uh, Record Roundtable? I guess the award is presented to someone uh, with a surprisingly uh, uh, refreshing use of accordion. Or instrument that tricked us into thinking it was an accordion. Ooh, that's fun too. I like that. So that uh, Tom Waits, you are so, you are the our, winner of the record round table. We Golden only have had two recently. two nominees for that so far. It's Weird Al and Tom Waits. Yeah, and it'll be a while before somebody finally takes the throne. We, we don't Waits. know. We don't know. Could not be. I don't think it's a throne taking. It's just an honor that everyone can share. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm like not trying better. to take someone's throne. I like that better, actually. Thank yeah. you. All right. Well. I think I'll pick my favorite song while yeah? we're on this. Okay. This is a tough one, guys. It really there's a lot. There's a lot of songs I liked. I, I liked more songs this week than I've liked in a long time, just because I wanted to. If we could talk about them, I would. I liked a lot of things I knew I liked. I liked a lot of things I knew I'd never heard. Mm-hmm. But I think that I'll go with the song that I kind of was inspired to pick this episode from, and that's the song from the very first album. Uh, Closing time. I hope I don't fall in love with you. Well, I hope that I don't fall in love with you. Falling in love just makes me. Calling out for me 
Good choice, Jared. It really, like, it's this is late to be mentioning it, but, like, it's odd to see the trajectory of his creativity where he started out, not, not that this is a bad thing, but a very traditional singer-songwriter. Yeah, mm-hmm. with an old man voice and everything. Yeah. yeah. And, like, what, 24? 24. He's very young. That also was, that's his most popular song, I believe, which... Yeah, I know. It's it's not like choosing any other artist's most popular song, though, because mm-hmm. it's, you know... Um, and it's a good song. That's a, quite a good song with kind of a fun little feel to it. I don't know. I, I enjoy that one. That's That was probably the first one I've, I ever heard. I, I and, heard and it realized. somewhere. I don't even know where I heard it. I heard it somewhere recently, and I was like, wow, this is a really good song. And then I like looked on Spotify and, and listened to it like three or four times during that week. And then I was like, I think I'm going to pick Tom Waits for Record Roundtable. And then it took a little while because I changed my picks uh, because uh, one one month we had too many singer songwriters, so I had to I made a change my month. pick. I had to change my pick. Neil Young and freaking uh, Tom Bill, Waits. Bill Withers was on there too. He's too much of a singer songwriter apparently, but I finally picked him again. There you go. And we have done it. You know, I want to mention to you. Uh, I don't want to grow up was also covered by Scarlett Johansson. Oh my! Who to thunk that she would cover? I didn't even know she did music. I didn't either. But she does. She does everything. And uh, she covered it. And the, the album was almost produced by Dave Sytek of TV on the radio. Oh, my. Oh, nice. She colluded, collaborated with Bowie and uh, some members of Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's as well. So That's quite the thing. A lot going on there. I'm going to save. I'm going to listen to it. I'll give a listen. We'll get back to you next week. Yeah, you should. On whether she is their next Golden Accordion <laughs> nominee. Scarlett Johansson gets the Golden Accordion. I love that. I heard that but. I wish I was in New Orleans. Also on there. Isn't that a Tom Waits song? It might be. It is, I believe. Yeah. So there you go. Looky here. Scarlett Johansson, influenced. Influenced by Tom Waits. By Tom Waits. She's going to start doing her own like experimental carnival music. Another little uh, tie-in. Scarlett Johansson is in a movie, a recent film by Taika Waititi called Jojo Rabbit. I don't know if you've seen it. It's quite good. And uh, Tom Waits' music is used in there. I Don't Want to Grow Up actually is used in that film. I didn't know that. I just found that earlier. So uh, That's pretty cool. Circles. Circles, Jared. That's the shape that has no wind that comes back on itself. It sure does. Wowie zowie. Do we have any other things that we'd deeply like to talk about involving Tom Waits? Well, I guess we could briefly just talk about his acting career. He's been in a lot. Uh, well, he's been in quite a bit of movies. Yes. Uh, some of them are kind of weird and some of them are less weird. He was uh, one of the things I like him the most from. He was Doc Heller in the movie Mystery Men. Great movie. Uh, that's where Smash Mouth got their big start. He was not in... Shrek. It's no, debatable. no, that's Sugar. Wasn't Sugar? Who was it? Was it Sugar? No, Ray? it was Smash. It Mouth. was Smash Mouth. It was okay. Smash Mouth. Yeah, yeah, that was before. That was before Shrek. BS, yep. if you will. Uh, he was I'm in the movie. Saying Shrek kind of blew up a little bit more. He was in the movie Domino, which has Mickey Rourke and Keira Knightley, directed by Tony Scott, who is dead. Uh, as we mentioned before, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. He was in the Book of Eli in 2010. He played the Engineer. That's a great movie. Really good movie. Uh, he was in Seven Psychopaths, which is an okay movie. He was the voice in The Simpsons. Did you know that? Yeah, there you go. The voice of Lloyd. Pretty good. You're missing, uh, you're missing a prominent one. Dracula? The Outsiders. Bram Stoker. Oh, yeah. The, the, the outsiders. outsiders. Yep. 
Uh, performance I really enjoy him in, and I, I told you all about this, I guess it was yesterday, I told you about it, and I, I, you probably didn't get a chance to watch it, but I watched it last night for the sake of refreshing myself. He was most recently in a Coen Brothers movie that was released directly to Netflix, and maybe a Netflix production even, called uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a collection of shorts uh, into one whole movie. It's different stories about the West, and he plays uh, a minor, a minor 49er from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Uh, no, just a gold miner in California. Sorry. Oh man, uh, anyway, you got me excited. He plays a gold miner, and he's uh, looking Bro, for gold, raggy. looking for gold, and he's pretty fitting for the role. And it's quite, it's pretty good. It's probably the shorts are probably uh, about fifteen to twenty minutes at the most, and it's it's quite, it's good, and it's fun. I'm glad that they included him in that. I love the Coen Brothers; they're my favorite uh, directors, and they tend to choose people very specifically for certain things. Yes, and I'm glad that they chose Tom Waits. That's cool. Well, I thought this was a pretty good week. I thought so too. Yeah, I I enjoyed Tom Waits more than I expected. I thought I would enjoy like parts of it, and those first six albums, I was like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna like Tom Waits. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh man, I like Tom Waits. Oh, also for listeners, it's a good thing that we specifically did this episode this week because Rain Dogs was taken off of Spotify. Those criminals. Those yeah, is that fools, the one that was removed? Yes. That's really sad. There's like three songs on there left from the album because they were on compilations. Yes, right. I saw that. So so if you were really wanting to also get through the discography of Tom Waits, one, don't do it in a week. It will hurt your soul. Not in a bad way, but it will hurt a little bit. Uh, And two... You're going to have to hunt for that Rain Dogs. Probably buy it on vinyl. Get it as a CD. Probably also buy Bone Machine. Probably on cassette tape if you want. Buy Buy the single... The singles too. Go seek them. Seek them all out. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. This week we were talking about Tom Waits. And next week we'll be talking about Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Check out all of our <laughs> social media bits. It's, it's really hard to, to narrate over that voice. Uh, check out all of our social media bits Facebook, Instagram, so on, so forth. Check us out at patreon.com slash recordroundtable. And, of course, check out our website, recordroundtable.com. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. With the charcoal eyes and Monroe hips She wouldn't took that California trip